Right. We're going to be in Numbers chapter 20 this morning. The first 12 verses of Numbers chapter 20. I invite you to open your Bible if you brought it with you. Or open that Bible under the seat in front of you. Read along with us, Numbers chapter 20. You'll find that on page 176 in that Bible under the seat in front of you. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for all that you've done for us. The sacrifice that you made. The amount of love and grace and mercy that you pour over our lives. What a joy it is to be named among your people. And Lord, with that being true, we certainly want our lives to make a difference for you here. Lord, we want to be as fruitful as we possibly can for your kingdom. So teach us about that. Protect us from squandering away all that you've done for us. Bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you trust all those portrait images that you see out there on social media? Are they real, those glamour shots? Or are there filters being used? Are they being photoshopped? It's hard to tell for sure nowadays. Well, I can assure you that the portraits we find of men and women in the Bible are not photoshopped. No filters are used. You get the real deal. The Bible does not gloss over the sins, failures, and mistakes of its characters. They're presented realistically. Their strengths, their weaknesses, their victories, their defeats. We've been studying the life of Moses for several weeks here on Sunday morning, and he is an amazing man of God, but he was not perfect. And in our text this morning, Moses commits a very costly sin. Let's read through it. Look at verse 1 of chapter 20 in the book of Numbers. It says, Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. That's the older sister of Moses. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron, and the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? Why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak. Make note of that. That's the command. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So, Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. So far, so good. They're obeying. And then he, Moses, said to him, verse 10, Hear now, you rebels! Exclamation point. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. Water came out abundantly and the congregation and the animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Because of the incident recorded in this passage, Moses is banned by the Lord from leading the people of Israel into the promised land. Moses will not go into the promised land. Moses will die in the wilderness. Now I got to tell you, my heart hurts for Moses in this chapter. And I almost feel like it's unfair, don't you? After all that he's been through. And you know, there are so many excuses that we could make for the behavior of Moses in this chapter. This chapter is taking place at the end of the 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness. Remember, the first generation that came out of Egypt essentially said they didn't want to go into the promised land. So God said, okay, fine. Do laps in the wilderness for 40 years until everyone aged 20 and up dies. And then the next generation will go into the promised land. Moses had to tag along with them for 40 years. And he's probably tired of wandering. You can understand him having a bad day every now and then, right? It's a lot of time for frustration and anger to vent up. And then, of course, the congregation of Israelites, they're being their usual lovely, delightful selves. They're complaining. Same thing over and over again. They're in a situation, there's no water. Moses, why did you take us out of Egypt? Why did you take us out in the wilderness to die? Blah, blah, blah. Same thing over and over again for 40 years like a broken record. So you can understand Moses losing his cool, can't you? You know, you lose your cool. Every parent of small children knows this type of frustration. Where you put up and then finally you're like, enough! I can see Moses. Just this frustration boiling over. And then also here in chapter 20, Moses is an old man. He's 120 years old. He's earned a right to be grumpy, hasn't he? 
speak whatever he wants to say. And then there's that detail at the end of verse 1, Miriam died and was buried there. That was his older sister. He's grieving. Miriam was a good older sister. She's the one who saved Moses' life when he was a baby. Miriam was the one that watched over baby Moses when he was put in that basket, pushed out onto the Nile River. Miriam was the one who suggested that their mom raise Moses when Pharaoh's daughter found him. She's a wonderful, godly woman. Except for one criticism that she had of Moses recorded in Numbers chapter 12. She was a big fan of Moses, a big support of Moses. Moses missed her. Moses is grieving. She's just died. Maybe Moses was even a little bit angry at the Lord because of that. Sometimes when you're going through tough times of grief, you get angry. You get short with people. So, I mean, Moses, we could make some big excuses for him. And we could say, God, why don't you give him a break? But God did not give him a break. He disciplined Moses. And it hurt. Later on in Deuteronomy chapter 3, Moses will say and write, I pleaded with the Lord at that time. Let me cross over. Let me cross over and see the Jordan and those good mountains. Why can't I go? Understand something. The Lord is no respecter of persons. The Lord doesn't give anyone a free pass. You know, we we can understand maybe why he was that way. But listen, even as a leader, Moses was the leader. And yet that did not place him outside the possibility of being disciplined. And understand that God doesn't show favoritism. I think sometimes Christians, they fall into this game like, well, God would never do anything to me. It's me. I've been serving the Lord for so long. No. You got to serve the Lord all the way to the end. If anything, leaders are more accountable before the Lord. Because there's to be examples for the people. Listen to what James says in chapter 3 of his letter. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Paul knew this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he said, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Very important if you're a leader of God's people. By the way, I'm not trying to discourage people from becoming leaders. The church always needs leaders. The church is always in need of good leaders. But just know what you're getting into in advance. Leadership is not a position for power, celebrity, esteem. Leadership is a position for humble service unto the Lord and to his people And higher accountability. So know that going in. 
So while our hearts do sympathize with Moses, we need to understand that this sin was grievous and did have severe consequences. Now, what exactly was the nature of his sin? Well, it was a sinful anger. Moses got sinfully angry here. I mean, in verse 10, Hear now, you rebels. And instead of speaking to the rock, what did he, he took his rod and struck that rock twice. Angry. You know, if you investigate the life of Moses uh, closer, you'll recognize that anger was a problem for Moses. It was a besetting sin in his life. There are many times in his life where he does something impulsively because of his anger. I think at the age of 40, when he was in Egypt living in the palace, you remember he made a decision, I'm going to follow the Lord and I'm going to try to help the Hebrew people. And that was a great decision. Awesome. However, one day when he went into Goshen to see the conditions of his people, he saw an Egyptian taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave. Remember that? Scripture says he got angry. And what did he do? He killed the Egyptian taskmaster. That's anger out of control. God never told him to commit murder. He had to flee Egypt, spend 40 years in the wilderness of Midian. So you read through the account when when Moses is dealing with Pharaoh, it says over and over that he got angry at Pharaoh. Even though God had told him in advance, look, this guy isn't going to let the people go right away. It's not going to be a waltz in and waltz out. He got mad. And there's several occasions that Moses got angry with the people. This was a sin in his life. God, no doubt, had been working with him. But it's just something that he struggled with. And right here at the end, it cost him. That besetting sin. You know, anger is dangerous. It can bring great destruction in your life. Maybe you have a, a problem with anger. It's something you need to get control of. You know, you can get so angry with the blind rage do something that you, you, you absolutely regret. We hear of all these incidences, the road rage now. You hear people shooting each other at stoplights. I had a friend who saw someone get so angry the other day in New York, this guy got out of his truck with a crossbow, ready to shoot. I heard the story last week about a teenager who punched an 81-year-old man, killed him. You know, in that moment of blind rage, you can do something you regret. By the way, fights in real life are way different than fights in the movies. You know how the fights in the movies, man, these people get hit with lead pipes, shot in the legs, and they're still able to fight. No, that's not how it works. In real life, in real life, with one punch, you can kill someone and go to jail. Rage, uncontrolled anger can cause you to say something to somebody that you love, that you'll regret for the rest of your life. 
Maybe it's not anger for you. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's substance abuse. There's that thing in your life that you always go back to. Listen, you need to get control of that. That can be a very dangerous thing in your life. And it's got to be something that you're willing to deal with for the rest of your life. Not just for the next 40 years, but for the rest of your life. Always be on guard to the very end. George Mueller was a wonderful man of God. He served the Lord for 60 years. Somebody once said to George Mueller, you know, when God calls you home, it's going to be like a ship going into the harbor full sail. And George said, no, when I go home, they're going to say, there's poor George Mueller who needed to pray daily. Hold me up in thy goings that my footsteps slip not. Never become so confident. You guard yourself. And it's very important that you're aware of those things that you really struggle with. And you put a guard around them. So Moses got angry. And it was his besetting sin. But Moses said something even deeper here. A greater sin in my opinion. He, he misrepresented the Lord. He's the leader and he misrepresented represented the Lord. The Lord says to him in verse 12, because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children. Moses, you didn't hollow me in the eyes of the people. You misrepresented me. In this situation, God was being gracious to the people. Yeah, they're grumbling, they're complaining, but God was being kind. There's no hint that God is angry. He wants to just bless the people, show grace, give them water. Moses portrays God as being angry. Listen up, you rebels. How would the people have taken that? God thinks we're rebels. Looks what his spokesperson's saying. Striking that rock. I'm angry. God wasn't angry. God was going to be gracious. And by the way, notice what Moses says there in verse 10. He says, here now, you rebels, must we bring water out of the rock? Now, he's so angry. Is he suggesting that he and his brother Aaron have the power to bring water out of the rock? Has he forgot that he's just a vessel? He's a spokesperson. Who, who makes the water come out of the rock? Moses? Aaron? No, God does. He's become so unhinged. Leaders are not to misrepresent God. If you're a leader in the Christian church, you, are to rep, you represent Jesus. And you certainly are not to take the place of Jesus and say, hey, look at me, I can do great things. No, it's Jesus who does great things. Very important principle for leadership. But also, this is a very important principle for all of us as Christians. You know, we're all supposed to be witnesses, right? All of us. Paul goes on to tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us. 
We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reckoned. Did you know you're an ambassador for Jesus? If you call yourself a born-again Christian, if you, you're an ambassador for Jesus. Now, what does an ambassador do? An ambassador represents a nation, the president of a nation, the values and interests of a nation to other nations and a foreign nation. As a Christian, you are a foreigner on planet Earth. This is not your real home. You're a pilgrim passing through. Your real home is heaven. And as a Christian, you're to represent heaven and the king of heaven and the values and the interests of heaven. That's our job. Do we represent him well? If you were to hand out a business card to everyone you knew every day, and on the business card you say, Hi, my name is Terry, or my name is Phil in the blank, and I am a Christian. Would that set the cause of Christ back or advance it? If people knew. Do you represent him well? You know, there are Christians that don't represent Jesus very well. They will represent Jesus as that judgmental, pointing the fingers, kind of like what Moses did here, bunch of rebels. Do you represent Jesus that way in your zealous commitment? And you're, you're representing him wrong. On the other hand, do you represent Jesus as someone who doesn't care at all about morals? Has no righteous standards? Hey, live any way you want? That's misrepresenting him. We're to represent him well. You know, it's a serious thing to be a Christian. And there's a serious responsibility to it. You want to follow the Lord and please him. At least you should. And you want others to know him. And so you want to represent him well. Some of you have dear friends, close friends, friends that you love for, friends you'd go to the mat for. And yet you're afraid to live the truth in front of them? Or family members? You know, the Bible says we're not to live worldly lives. And yet, how many Christians live worldly lives in front of worldly people? Essentially leading worldly people along in the worldly lifestyle. And you know where that leads. If you're a real friend, wouldn't you want to lead them out of that lifestyle and be different? Now, nobody's going to represent God perfectly. But man, if you're a born-again Christian, there should be a discernible difference between you and people in this world. Is there? Misrepresenting the Lord, that's a serious thing. It cost Moses the promised land. Because of that sin, that besitting sin that he never got a hold of or control of, and because of misrepresenting the Lord, 
Moses didn't go into the promised land. And those two things in our lives will keep us from going into the promised land as well. Remember we talked a little bit about this last time together. What happens to the nation of Israel in the book of Exodus and through all this history is symbolic of the Christian experience. When you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're redeemed like the nation of Israel was redeemed out of Egypt. Then the Lord wants to lead you into the promised land. The promised land is not heaven. The promised land is abundant life. It's the victorious Christian life that God wants you to live today. And yet so few Christians go into the promised land. They wander around in the wilderness. And one of the things that will keep you out of the promised land is not being serious about the sin in your life, the besetting sin. Or not being serious about how you represent Jesus. Man, it, the Lord wants you to be fruitful and to live that fruitful life. And as such, you need to represent him. Get into the promised land. Now, there's another wonderful, there's a couple of truths here, a couple of powerful spiritual principles that this story illustrates for us again the promised land it represents this victorious christian life that we want to go into please notice moses couldn't go there and moses represents the law he's the lawgiver the law will never take you into the promised land ever Turning your Christian experience into one where you just become this legalistic law keeper. You'll never experience promised land living. You'll never experience victorious Christian living. Turning the Christian faith into a a rigid, boring religion. Where you got to keep all these laws. That's not the victorious Christian faith. Who led the nation of Israel, into the promised land after Moses. Do you remember his name? What was his name? Joshua, in Hebrew, Yeshua. A version of the name that would later be Jesus. Joshua is symbolic of Jesus. He's a type of Jesus. Only Jesus can lead you into the promised land. Only him. No law can lead you only Jesus can Jesus died on the cross for your sins rose again that third day and when you put your faith and your trust in him you become forgiven and born again and you don't enter into a religion you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ and it's your relationship with him that makes you fruitful not keeping a law It's nurturing your relationship with Christ and growing in him. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. I don't care how hard you want to keep a law. 
Your fruitfulness, your walking in victory is dependent upon your relationship with Christ. Nurture it, protect it. Grow in it. You say, but Terry, what about all of the different commandments that you read in the New Testament? There are things that we're supposed to keep and do, and that's absolutely sure, true. But John says in 1 John chapter 5, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and... His commandments are not burdensome. If you love Jesus, his commandments are not burdensome. Sure, whatever you want, Lord. I love you. You gave everything for me, I'll give everything back. Follow Jesus into the promised land. And then there's another powerful picture of this idea of living water. In fact, the New Testament teaches that this rock out of which comes living water is a picture of Christ. And out of Christ comes living water. Now it's interesting that this is actually the second time that water comes out of this rock. And most Bible scholars believe that this was the exact same rock, same location. Forty years prior, the congregation's mad about water. They cry out to Moses. Moses cries out to the Lord. And the Lord says to Moses, gives him this command. Take your rod and strike the rock. Strike it. And he did. Forty years later now, what does the Lord say? Speak to the rock. What is he? He strikes it. There's a very powerful image happening there. Moses blew a wonderful picture that God was conveying. Jesus is the rock. And Jesus, in order to save people, only needed to be stricken how many times? Just once. You don't crucify Jesus over and over again. He died once. His sacrifice is enough. And if you place your faith and trust in him, you will get living water. Living water that fills you, empowers you, and flows through you. And you can keep getting living water from Jesus. Not because you strike him over and over again. After you've received him, now you speak to him. And that living water flows. Now what is this living water? Well, it's a picture of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John chapter 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living Water, And this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given. See, that's another picture of the victorious Christian life. When you gave your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit entered you. And the Holy Spirit is a source of refreshing, supernatural, living water in your life and through your life out of your life. Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus Christ and it's about a day-by-day dependence upon the Holy Spirit who lives in you. That living water. 
Don't miss out on the promised land. Don't miss out on victorious Christian living. You deal with that besetting sin. Be real. Be honest about it. Protect it. Guard against that in your life. Be serious about representing Christ in your school, in your circle of friends, everywhere you're at. Be serious. And do so in the power of the Holy Spirit who is the living water. And do so through a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ every day. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Lord, forgive us for many times watering down everything that you've done for us. not taking as serious as we need to all that you've done for us, for forgetting so easily that you died on a cross so that we might have relationship with you and that your spirit lives inside us, that your, your spirit transforms us and uses us. How soon we forget those supernatural qualities Remind us this morning and remind us day by day. Remind us that we're ambassadors day by day. We want to represent you well to the people in our lives that we love so much. We want them to know you. Lord, we do acknowledge that you will discipline us. You discipline your people, but never in a a spirit of, of anger, but like as a father who chastens, who disciplines to make us better. And Lord, we're so grateful for the grace that you bestow upon us day in and day out, the chances you give us over and over and over again. Thank you, Lord. Father, I want to pray for anyone here this morning or perhaps uh, tuning in online right now, for anyone who has not yet received this wonderful relationship with you. Listen, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's life-changing. It's encountering the living God. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short from his glory. And our sin separates us from God. But God in his love sent his only begotten son, Jesus, who took the penalty for our sins. He died in our place. Took the punishment we deserved. Rose again that third day, defeating death, and he's alive. And if you place your faith and trust in him, your sins will be forgiven. 
You'll enter into a relationship with him. The Holy Spirit will take residence in you. Living water in and through your life. If you've never done that, I pray that you would do that right now. And in fact, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. If that's you, you cry out and say, Lord Jesus, in the quietness of your heart, I receive you right now this morning as my Lord and Savior. Fill my heart with living water. Wash away my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I admit I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. Wash me clean. Change my life. Fill me with your spirit. Deliver me from habitual sin that has me captive and miserable. Replace that with life. With real joy. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to represent you well for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen.